Episode 2 of Once Upon a Lifetime. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for Episode 2. We will be covering the second part of Audrey Hepburn's life. If you have not yet listened to episode one, I do suggest you go back and listen to that. Her childhood is really fascinating and worth spending some time on. At this point, we are going to pick up our conversation with her post-war activities. Europe has been liberated, and Audrey, her mother, and her brothers find themselves penniless and move to Amsterdam to make a future for themselves. Well, they go to Amsterdam, and before they take on their civilian jobs, they help kind of with the reconstruction because the United Nations comes in with their United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, which later becomes UNICEF, which is a lot easier to remember. And so this organization is bringing food, medicine, and supplies. And so they volunteer, and they work in a clinic, and they nurse people. They are tending to physical needs, reading to them, writing letters. So before they can get to their normal lives, they are doing some humanitarian work here. Wow. That'll come into it later because already Audrey has been helped herself by what would later become UNICEF. That's just going to be such a big deal for her later in her life. That's so interesting. Well, they do end up moving to England in order to chase down Audrey's dancing dream. It's said at this time her weight becomes a little bit, for her, a problem. She she goes from 88 gradually, probably, to to 150, which for her was more than she wanted to carry. I'm thinking by no means is she overweight at this point. But her dance teacher, who's a tiny, tiny little bird woman who, I don't even even know if she was five feet, if anything. And this ballet teacher would even have people sit in chairs so that she could kind of (laughs) not feel that they were too tall, tells Audrey that she's just overgrown at this point. She's too tall and too heavy. And so poor Audrey. She is told she's too frail because she never really recovered physically completely. So she could make a career out of dance in the sense that she could give lessons and she could be a teacher. She might be able to be in the chorus, but she could never be a prima ballerina. She needed money in a big way. Up to this point, her mother is supporting her, paying for her to have lessons. So she decides, fine, I'm going to humble myself and try out for this chorus line job. And it is a it is a bitter pill to swallow. She never wanted to perform outside of being a prima ballerina. That was always the goal. Audrey kind of thought, you know, at first that she was going to be a great artist. And later she thought, I need to pay the bills. Because, That's right. And meanwhile, Ella, who before had lived in some comfort, you know, before the whole fascism thing went south, they had lived in London before in Mayfair. And now they're in Mayfair again. And she's a concierge. She's working in a hotel, taking out the trash, sweeping the stairs, doing whatever she has to do. Yes. <laughs> this is why I kind of like Ella, honestly. I just think she... She's got some chutzpah, and I know she's not warm and fuzzy, but she gets the- She gets it done. Gritty. And she just keeps bouncing back. First husband. Lamo. Got two kids. Does she remind you a little bit of the Dowinger in Downton Abbey, maybe? Uh, yes. <laughs> kind of. She is a little. Like, you can almost see. That yeah, kind of. You're Maggie, not very interesting. Yeah. You're yeah. not very clever. Just get on with it. Do what you have to do. And uh, all the while, I can just imagine that Ella is taking the trash out, and she's looking like a duchess while doing it. I imagine that she's doing this in a very imperious way. Yes. <laughs> Be gone, trash. <laughs> Just, she owns that trash. 
Okay, so Audrey, we're getting now into the period of life, the Audrey Hepburn period of life that right. is she, all she I knew drops, about before. She drops Rustin from her name. She's no longer Audrey Rustin Hepburn. She changes her name, her performer name, since she has to perform. It's now going to be just Audrey Hepburn. And that kind of is when her life takes a turn, too. This is a good spot to take a break, and then we will come back. Audrey gets a part in a show called High Button Shoes, and she's the last of 40 girls chosen from among like 3,000 trying outs. She must have impressed somebody. She's making about eight pounds a week and she's having to work harder than all of the other dancers because it's a different kind of dancing. She's working harder and some of the dancers and performers are a little irritated by her because there's something about Audrey, some quality that she can just be prancing in place and absolutely not being a good dancer and people just find her still charming. She still catches people's eye and she has, she's getting all of this adoration while not necessarily being great. <laughs> so, but she just, she has some quality. She has some pizzazz. And so she's spotted in this course by a producer. And so she's, she's landing little, little parts. Meanwhile, she's doing all these other jobs. She's working as a clerk. She's doing print modeling for ads, things like that. She's working all day, all night, dancing, just wearing herself out, just trying to make ends meet. And she and Ella are sharing their income and by gum, those two women are going to make it. On the road to success. But Audrey also, at this point, does not know how to be like a normal teenager. You know, she just has no experience. So the the British girls she's working with are kind of normal, normalish teenagers. I mean, they went through the war, but they danced with soldiers and Audrey hid in a basement. All right. You know, it's, it's, she's a little awkward. She's a little awkward, and she has no boyfriend. She's she's never had a boyfriend, so she has her first boyfriend at this point, who's sort of a flub, just like all of these small bit parts are kind of flubs. You know, I mean, they're okay, but but she's getting her feet. I mean, this is really just the period of like coming out of war and becoming kind of normalized. This is the part where she goes from survival to I think I'm gonna make it. So here she is. She's getting her feet under her, but then she meets James Hansen. Oh, James Hansen, he's a dish. He is a dish. He is fancy. He's is he married. Well, no, no. He's not married. Okay, okay, good. Not this particular <laughs> he's, boyfriend. He's not this married. one is not married. But but he's he's <laughs> hung out with Ava Gardner, Gene Simmons, Joan Collins. That's right. Fancy ladies. So he's a catch. He, he's he's a, a catch, and he's also a playboy. Exactly. He's all about he's escorting. A pretty young thing. Yeah. He's yeah. all about escorting the, the PYT. So, but he really falls in love with Audrey. There's something special about her. So he, he is strong. He's protective. And I would say he's kind of the prototype for nearly all of Audrey's future love interests. Oh, yeah. She seems to draw, even in her movie roles, you'll see that all of her co-stars, all of her husbands, they're the protective types. And, you know, there's like a, a line between protecting someone and kind yeah, of controlling con control yes like mommy like mommy and audrey kind of responds to that because she trusts yeah. that she does and 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 not only that ella mom has a lot of issues with james hansen believe it or not is he much older no no they're, they're oh. actually i think they're similarly aged but ella's not thrilled with james and it might just be that he was a controlling person and ella was a controlling person well, and, and they both and wanted control of audrey that's exactly where i was gonna go and two people cannot move the same pawn that's right. Poor Audrey. And, and Ella knows what square she wants Audrey to jump right now on, on the board. And she doesn't want James getting in the way here. That's right. So, okay. 
I think that we can boil down this to two major breaks. She has two big breaks, and they happen bam bam. They happen almost at the same time. It's kind of like a catapult to stardom, um, because it's even two different genres. The first big break is that here she is, she's got this bit part making a forgettable movie on the Riviera, and the novelist Colette is on vacation at the same resort where Audrey is filming this movie. Colette is very ancient at this point. So if you can imagine, you've got this older French lady, kind of frizzy, short red hair, and she's imperious, and she's being pushed in a, in a wheelchair. And they're filming this little scene from a movie in the dining room, wants to eat her meal, where she's accustomed to eating her meal, and she doesn't care if they're filming some piddly little movie in it. She demands to be let in. So they throw open the doors, and Colette comes in, you know, as, as imperious as you can come in, you know, while being pushed. And she sees Audrey, and she she kind of looks and she's like, I have found my Gigi. She wrote a novella, Gigi, and it's being turned into a play. On Broadway. But it, the production's been halted because they cannot find the right young actor. The story boils down to grandmother and a daughter are grooming their young granddaughter to be a mistress, a courtesan, basically, because that's their family business. They are mistresses and they're going to raise her to be an excellent mistress. And Gigi doesn't believe in that. She wants to be in love. She wants to get married and so on. So you need to find the right kind of actress to pull this off, especially during how do you write a story about being a mistress while still keeping it sweet and light and peppy? <laughs> right. It's kind of a, right. a yeah. tricky thing. And well, well, this is just Audrey all over. Right, this right. is like the story of her career. Right. Like, like I'm going to play a madam, but I'm going to be so classy. You won't even know I'm playing <laughs> exactly. a madam. They're like, isn't that darling? <laughs> like, I could show this movie to my teenagers and they will have no idea what they're actually watching. Right. Exactly. And in the movie, later with Leslie Caron, you have Maurice Chevalier singing Thank Heaven for Little girls. Ladies, this is some some troublesome content in this day and age, but <laughs> it right. is. We're, not, we're not there yet. So Colette's a really big deal. So she discovers Audrey and this is going to be her Gigi. Even though she has zero stage acting experience. Oh, Colette speaks to her. They meet in the room and they and they speak about it and Colette says, well, it's not a problem. Just do what you do when you're dancing. Just try very hard. And she, she autographs a picture to Audrey and she says, to Audrey Hepburn, the treasure I found on the beach. It's great. And it's weird, especially for now. You know, we have American Idol. You have to have exceptional raw ability. Wow. There's no just accidental undiscovered talent anymore. No. It's like you I had to try think. real hard to get there. You do. <laughs> you do. And she doesn't try at all, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Gets there. So anyway, that's break number one. Break number two, I think is interesting because Paramount Pictures wants to make the movie Roman Holiday with Gregory Peck. They're looking for co-star for the female lead. The movie is about princess of an undisclosed European country. So they want somebody who has this unclear accent. Well, Audrey has grown up speaking at least three languages. She is the princess of unclear accents. Yeah, you have no idea where she's from. And with just a slight... It's like, I speak classy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> so here they are. This is what they're looking for. They've stated, we want someone who's not yet in movies, who has an unclear European accent. She does a film test. So the film test is fine. But at the very end of it, they actually keep rolling film, even though she doesn't know it's running. They say, and she says, oh, how was I? Was I any good? And they just continue to talk to each other for a while. And she, it's in that film test. There's a famous... Um, isn't, it on, isn't it on YouTube? It, it is. is. Did you I, I think it? I watched it, yeah. They She's so endearing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she herself, her person, her personality yeah. is so endearing. Well, Isn't it great? So she's no chameleon is what I was thinking. She is no Meryl Streep. She is who she is. She's a Meg Ryan. You know, every movie you see Meg Ryan in, yeah. she's Meg Ryan. 
Right. Like, I love her. But she's Meg Ryan. Yeah. And, you know, Meryl Streep sometimes, if it's good costuming, I don't even know it's her. I'm like, oh, halfway through the movie. Oh, that's Meryl Streep. Like, Devil Wears Prada. Didn't know it was her. So she's hired because she herself is charming. It's not so much her acting abilities, her singing abilities, her dancing abilities. And that is sort of the thing we've all came to the table with. First, she has to do Gigi, right? So she's she's signing two contracts right, pretty much at the same time. So she's going to be on stage and she's going to be in a movie. When it rains, it pours. I wonder what Ella thought about it. Ella probably thought, well, don't think you're that special. It's not three, is it? <laughs> I can't imagine what she said. Well, when Ella saw her in Gigi, which... She was highly acclaimed in, um, it, it, jumping ahead a little bit. But Ella's remark was, you've done very well, my dear, considering you have no talent. <gasps> I, I wrote that down, too. And I underlined it. I thought, oh, Ella. Seriously? Right? Yeah. Ella. so awful. But you know what I think of when I hear those things is who wanted to be on stage when they were 18 and then they had to get packed off to a foreign country to marry? Yeah. Maybe a little mommy jealousy. A little, little bitter, maybe? I think so. But going back to the weight question. Sure. I mean, she's held up as a standard of like the tall, willowy, thin. Yeah. And this know. is a really good moment to talk about it because it doesn't exactly come up in such a dramatic fashion after this. I mean, it comes no. up periodically. Because I think her weight until this point, did fluctuate a bit, mostly because she starved, which really had a big deal to do with her physique. That's why she was underdeveloped. Her upper body looked so, so slim. And she had that very petite look. Right. They say her ribcage never fully developed. That led to breathing problems, coughing, things like that. So she just From the starvation in the war. Oh, sure. She had a 20-inch waist. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Coming over on the boat from Gigi, she took a while. And And she more or less gorged herself on pastries and jam. Well, here's what I was thinking, is that Ella wasn't there to count her cigarettes or her chocolates. (laughs) Audrey was having herself a good time. A good old cruise, an all-you-can-eat buffet. She hit that buffet. Good for her. Good for you, Audrey. You do that. She herself said, I went food mad after the war. I would have a jar of jam and I would sit there and eat the whole thing, like with a spoon. She realized, though, that it was a little bit disordered. Like she wasn't disordered in the sense, I don't feel that she's anorexic, but she had to kind of put food in its right place in her life after dealing with all of that deprivation and the starvation. She had to kind of figure out that there isn't a scarcity. Later in life, they talk about her moderation, that she just ate what she liked. When they say, oh, Audrey gained weight, we are never talking more than 150, which is the one I read. So they arrive in New York, and here they are, and Audrey steps off. Even though she just gained a little bit of what would be normal weight, she lost some of that kind of cut glass kind of cheekbone look and just had a more rounded cheek. And the director, he catches sight with her, and he had hired this tiny little girl, Gilbert Miller, right? And he sees her, and they say, oh, well, what happened? Like, who's this dumpling? They called her a dumpling. Right. Can I just interject? I had to look. I was like, Gilbert Miller, 280 pounds, Gilbert. Oh, my two hundred and eighty. And he's calling Audrey Hepburn a dumpling? Yeah. They decide that they're going to put her on a diet. They have to get her back to kind of fit that look and what they had envisioned. She's, she's meant to be a little girl. She's meant to be like the little gammon Gigi. And so they decide they're going to put her on a diet. And next to their theater, there's a little tavern called Dinty Moore's. And you might know Dinty Moore from their stew. I mean, it's in cans and it's nothing probably like what they had at the tavern. The tavern was a really 
popular hangout. Theater people ate there. You know, during the Prohibition, you could probably get a drink. It was that sort of place. It was the Irish Tavern. And so they give the owner strict instructions. Audrey is to have nothing but steak tartare every day. Basically, you get your raw steak. It's hacked up really fine like hamburger meat. It's piled on your mm. plate all pretty. It's got a little indentation where you have your raw egg yolk, very top. And maybe you have some capers, mustard or onion or anchovy. It's just a, it's a dish that I think takes some getting used to. I'd eat it, but... Do you? I, I would. I Yeah. I would try it. No. Audrey ate her steak ultra, ultra rare. <laughs> Actually, no. I thought, well, yeah, she and I had that going on. Like, just knock the horns off. I would eat it very rare. But the steak tartare, she, she ate that. And I thought, well, Audrey was... This is keto, isn't it? Is this paleo? <laughs> she was is. paleo before it was a thing. <laughs> Dude, and she lost it. Now they're all happy, but... The next problem is she's going to be in a theater projection and she cannot project her voice. She she had to learn. And luckily for her, her co-star, Kathleen Nisbet, would take her home and coach her on the weekends. She really took her under her wing and encouraged her and was really such a mentor to her. They stayed friends for the rest of Kathleen's life. And there's so many people in the theater or movie world throughout her life then who just take her in like she's... Like yeah. everybody's little sister. Yeah. She's so earnest. She's not coming in pretending she has talent she just says i don't know what i'm doing but i'm very willing to learn and if you show me i'll do my very best and she works her behind she has long hours and and she says later on i worked hard and i got lucky and i know a lot of people work hard and don't get lucky and i love that she sees that reality that plenty of people have maybe more talent plenty of people work just as hard as you but certain things fell into place for you yeah Um, i mean you also worked hard to take them you weren't just like sitting in your dog you know, being a princess about everything. During this time, she actually got hired and fired a few times in the first week or so of the director. Yeah, fired. And then he thought, well, I can't get anybody yeah. else. There were several weeks. It was touching. It was a lot <laughs> of anxiety. She goes back to her hotel to unwind and someone jumps off of the 18th story and hits her oh, windowsill yeah, on I the way down. What? Yes, and is killed. And <laughs> oh my god! Imagine you come home from work and this happens, and she's she's just she's so so much stress, and and she's still having this long distance relationship with James her, Hansen. With James Hansen. He had moved to Canada <laughs> to be closer to her, so they could be together on weekends. She's in New York. He's so in Ontario. She hops again, you know, over the border to see him. So she's tired. Yeah, she's she she's pretty much wiped out. But yeah. after one week of the performances of Gigi, the reviews are so raging that the marquee is changed from Gigi with Audrey Hepburn to Audrey Hepburn in, in Gigi. Gigi. Yeah. It doesn't help her feel like she's not doing poorly. Her son's Sean says she was basically a very insecure person whose very insecurity made everyone fall in love with her. And I think that's a really good point. And you're not threatened by somebody that's that insecure. So it's probably why people took her under their wing and wanted to help her because if you know somebody's going to outshine you, you're not going to try to help them. I think it was such a cutthroat, self-promoting kind of right. place that when you saw someone who was just, you know, this this kid who's just refreshing and honest and genuine, really respond to that. Gigi ends temporarily. She's got a commitment to go on tour with them later in the year, but she also has already signed this contract to go to do Roman Holiday. So she goes to Rome. Right. And she's so shooting evil. Roman Holiday. This is a happy shoot. This is probably her happiest movie. Like She's actually personally the happiest because she's a nobody. So everything she does is like, oh, wow, this is really exciting that you're not so, you're not terrible. You know, she can't really do any wrong 
people are very happy with her. She just is having a blast. And we can't really say that for most of her other movies. There's stressors and things that come up in the other movies. But at this point, she's just having a great time. Gregory Peck is fabulous and wonderful and sweet as anything to her. And partway through the shoot, he decides this girl is going to outshine me. And that is okay. He gets in contact with his agent and says, I want her to have top billing. Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. I thought it was interesting the way they did it because it turned out to be um, presenting Gregory Peck, introducing Audrey Hepburn. Ah. So they both got top billing, but they wanted to make clear who's the star and who's the ingenue. So I love the li- I love the part in Roman Holiday where she has to cry at the end. They're in the car and she's about to say goodbye to Gregory Peck for the last time. And she's supposed to cry and she just can't, she can't, and she can't do it. She can't. Make the tears come. And the director yells at her. This is really Wilder, who has actually broken down greater stars than she. She doesn't know enough to actually be afraid or in awe of him. Nothing. So this is the only time that he had a crossword to say to her at all. Right. And he says something like, you're not worth anything. You don't know what you're doing. You don't belong here. And what do you know? She starts crying. And he's like, roll tape. And bam, (laughs) they get the take. And she's actually crying because he's been so mean. But they got it. Making a movie in Italy at that time was a little chaotic. Italy is never a not chaotic place to be. I mean, that's what's wonderful about it. But at this time, there's a lot of political chaos. So it's it's hard to get the crowds cleared. There's, you know, communists and fascists come into this again because they're clashing in the streets. And they find uh, explosives found under a bridge over the Tiber River at one point. It's just, it's just it's chaotic. Kind of a crazy filming schedule. So things get pushed back and pushed back. And James Hans is eager to get married. He wants to get married to Audrey as soon as possible. I mean, I'm just going to say he's being weird about it. He's pushy about yeah. getting her married to him. He actually sets up their wedding date behind her back. He sends out a press release. Yeah. Without confirming. Creepy. <laughs> it is a super creepy. The companies that she's committed to both already have her committed to them during that week. And now James Hansen has put out this press release saying, oh, no, 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 we're getting married that week. Like, what is your deal, man? I mean, calm down and wait. You know, can't you see you're married to a star? Well, is that what it was? I mean, do you think he was so like, oh, she's going to make it, so I better catch her while I can before she gets too hot? That could totally have been it. Either way, it was very controlling. Yeah. Yes. It was kind of an inappropriately, like, the little woman has no say. She kind of likes being appreciated working hard and getting credit for it. That's a good feeling. Yeah. And I think she really feels there's this tension that she always has for all of her relationships. She really feels this tension between her obligation to the relationship and her obligation to what her commitment is at the time, whether that's acting or when she has children, it's the children. So she's trying to give 100% in both directions. Later when it comes to children, uh, she's, she's going to be all in with being a mother. But Again, with, with being a wife, she doesn't want to get married yet because she knows that she wants to be the wifiest wife that ever wifed. She is not ready to do that yet. That's right. Yeah. She actually, there's a quote from her saying, when I get married, I want to be very married. She knows she can't give James what she wants to be able to give him. Even if he's okay with something lesser, she's not okay with it. Right. But anyway, he's not hearing it. The moral of the story is he's not hearing it. So they're in Roman Holiday, and he's kind of around this whole time, kind of being a pest. People kind of are finding him to be a pest. Um, he's just around a lot, in and out. He's got a job. So she does Roman Holiday. 
she has to go back and do the Gigi tour in the U.S. Can you imagine the tiredness at this point? She's done a full Broadway run of Gigi already, which is, I think, eight performances a week. And then she goes directly into a serious midsummer in Rome movie shoot. It's 100 degrees, which is the only other downside of this whole Roman holiday shoot. How long did the shoot take? Uh, I think that they were typically about three months at this point. And then she was immediately back into touring all over the U.S. She's just wiped out. This is the point at which after the bizarro James Hansen press release saying, we are getting married on this date, no one knows for sure. But it seems like that was kind of the straw that broke camel's back. And she's like, this isn't going to work. And I kind of want to set my own wedding date. (laughs) Forget about my professional obligations. Like, I kind of want to say it when I get married. Yes. And it's not that I don't love you or whatever, but dude. Yeah. Back off a little bit. So that's the end of James Hansen. (laughs) She also was kind of coming to the conclusion that she probably had to marry somebody in the industry. Somebody in movies. Because it's just a weird world. And you're gone for these months at a time. And James wanted these regular visits. She needed to look for somebody who understood the lifestyle. So Gregory Peck introduces Audrey to Mel Farrar. He's an actor. Mel is married. married it's his to third his marriage to his first wife. Yeah, He got Wait, married to his first wife. Divorced her and then remarried her and then divorced her and then remarried her. Well, he, he had one in between. So there were two oh, wives, oh. three marriages. So oh, he has a first wife. They divorce. Second wife divorce goes back to the first wife and um two kids with each wife so he's now four kids which by the way weirdly enough you never hear another word about no i i looked i I did too i have this big question mark in my notes like mel ferrar's children mel had just finished a movie called lily with um leslie caron Mel, what was the attraction she was excited to meet him because she had seen this movie, Lily, three times and loved him in it. And he himself had had, he'd had polio. He had crippled his, his arm had been crippled by polio. And like through force of will and exercise, he had regained motion. And so he was just like this forceful, bitter, tormented guy. And he also is this very creative sort of person, but who doesn't commit to one genre. I feel like he felt he was very creative and misunderstood, but I don't know that he was really that good. Well, I think he thought he was better than he was. He wants to be an, an author, then he's a journalist, then he goes into radio, then he tries to become a dancer. Not good to start <laughs> like in your you know, 20s as a dancer. <laughs> Jeez, right. um, then he decides he's an actor and ends up as mostly a director of low budget films. So... <laughs> But I mean, he kind of bops around. Like, I think he sees himself as this Renaissance man. I'm not yes. sure he's stuck to any one thing to become good at it. Like, like anyone? Oh, I'm well, thinking that's of her true. Dad, like this. Yes. Uh, kind of always making excuses, blaming other people, believing that he was just being misunderstood. No one appreciated him. True. And Mel has a lot of that going on. And when he meets Audrey, he's been in the movie world longer. He has. And and he tells her, you should be a great actress. Like, I can help you be a great actress. And she is in the mode of wanting to learn. She's so open to, like, receiving good advice. And, and another part of Audrey, I think that when people give her criticism, she perceives it as honesty because she's very self-critical like in an honest way but she's used to hearing like really cutting criticism from her mother from her upbringing it doesn't strike her as off like she doesn't think like her radar doesn't go off like oh this is unhealthy right no no she's like oh this person's telling me the truth they just want i better better fix this yes and and he's so tortured and broken and 
the draw was for Audrey because she's thinking like, here is this great talented person and together like can like fit each other's broken places and together we'll be a team and he'll teach me to be a great actress and I will teach him how to love. He's also the son of a, of a famous surgeon and a New York socialite. He's 11 years older than her. His brothers and sisters are all highly successful individuals. They're in law, they're doctors, and he quits Princeton to join Summerstock and be an actor. He's going to help her like mold her talent, refine it. He has that piece of the puzzle. He can help her figure that out. Right. Okay. So they're in this relationship. I'm going to get to this because it's more of a romance at this point or like a mutual attraction. Yes. Because they're not really attached. He's still married. He's still married. And, but they decide that they're going to do a play together. They're going to be this team. His wife gets wind of this and leaves Mel. Forget it. Yeah, I'm not. You know, fool me once. this rodeo. <laughs> yeah. She's done. In there, done that, goodbye. And this is also where we are going to say goodbye for the day. We will return in our next episode, picking up with Sabrina and moving into the first several years of Audrey's rise to the top of Hollywood. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.